Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right. Welcome to another episode of Managing Expectations. Very soon, I'll be joined by my man, Joe Lowry, one of the very best and hardest working writers, podcasters, and now editors-in-chiefs uh, out there. He is runs the site backyield.com. I'm going to say something kind about that when I bring Joe on um, in a few minutes. Um, I think it's good conversation, good chat, always good fun. I love talking with Joe. He's got a really good balance of, you know, very smart, tactical, analytical mind, but also being able to kind of laugh and not take things too seriously. Um, we're going to get into Wednesday night's Open Cup final in which Orlando City beat Sacramento Republic, winning their first trophy in their club's MLS history. Then we're going to talk about Houston Dynamo letting go of Pau Nagamura just 29 games into that era. And we're in the first era of, you know, first full season of new ownership, first season of, of new front office. So wholesale changes continue there. We're going to talk about Joseph Martinez being suspended, on which a table of chicken and rice was flipped in the visitor's locker room last weekend after Atlanta lost to Portland. Um, it's just kind of another sad moment in that saga and that soap opera a very classic hashtag this league moment. And then we're going to kind of talk about a little bit going to Austin's nobody believes in us mantra um, and, and their kind of fight against the media, uh, in particular one media member who seems to get stuck with you only write negative articles. Um, again, I think I think that one was was fine. I hope I didn't sound too much like I was on my soapbox um, as a media guy. So, all right. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to get to Joe Lowry here. Thank you all for tuning in. All right, let's get into it. My man Joe Lowry is back. As always, I implore you, I demand you go consume his content on Joe's site, backheel.com. Sign up for the newsletter, do all the stuff. First and foremost, it's extremely worth your time. So, you know, you should you should absolutely give it your time. But as an added bonus, just support good people doing good things. Anyway, Joe, welcome back to the program. Uh, I'm going to be in the Southwest this weekend for a bachelor party. Um, any, any tips for me to not melt? Because my cousin was just there. And she said, it wasn't that bad. It was only 101 degrees. Thank <laughs> you. That is that's how you tell, right? That's how you tell if you spent any time in the heater in the southwest when it's like, oh yeah, low hundreds. You know, that's a, a pretty doable summer day. No, my tip for you, Tom, first of all, I hope you have fun going to the bachelor party. My tip is just don't go outside for any reason. If someone's telling you to go outside, it's a trick. Don't listen. That's how we survive here. AC, AC's inside. AC's not outside. So you stay where the AC is. You don't go outside unless, Tom, unless you're going to some sort of body of water, a pool, or a slightly larger body of water. Otherwise, it's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> that that that's kind of what my game plan was going in is you know hang out by the pool as much as physically possible yes pack a lot of changes of clothes because i struggle with being sweaty too much and a lot of climate cool stuff i, th- I think that's going to be the mantra of the weekend you're going to be wearing like these uh like sweat wicking like nike tees all weekend long <laughs> i can see that i can see it <laughs> yeah my my stupid hawaiian shirts aren't exactly climate cool material but look you have to make sacrifices for the vibe and, and i will do that because as i'm a hero amongst them. 
Yeah, I mean, you recognize the moment for Hawaiian shirt, and you recognize wisely the moment for extra clothes, short sleeves, shorts, as little clothing as possible, and of course, and of course, moisture wicking material. <laughs> Look, bachelor party though, you got to step up to the moment. Doesn't matter, sure. big players, big games, and you got to sure. come through with your Hawaiian shirts. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, one, one more, one more irreverent point before getting to it. I was at time of recording. I know Matt Arsenal, uh, Matt Turner is making his Arsenal debut. Matt Arsenal would be a good nickname. It would uh, Matt be. Turner is making his Arsenal do- debut right now. I have not seen anything other than him con- uh, conceding a penalty because, look, as somebody who watches the NFL Red Zone all too much now, um, rather than just watching, like, regular games, if there's multiple games at once, I love the idea of, of the Galazzo show. Like, I'm, I, you don't take much away tactically. Like, it's, I'm disappointed in myself that I'm not learning more about anything other than just pretty much watching highlights, but God damn it, y'all, I'm a sucker. It's fun, right? It's fun. It's, it's generally not how... I go about watching games. So we, I just finished up recording TSS and we did a Champions League show. And, and Ryan Bailey, who hosts that show most often, said he mm-hmm. watched the Galazzo show for the Champions League stuff. And he can, right? Because as your as the host's role, you kind of just need to know a little bit about a yeah. lot of things. I don't usually get away with that. It's <laughs> usually something that I can do, but it's fun, right? It's fun. That's why Red Zone such a big thing is because it's mm. fun to watch people score points in sports. <laughs> we like that stuff. And so I don't I don't begrudge you at all. Hopefully, um, by the time we're done recording, and folks already know this, Matt Turner has kept a clean sheet, at least in terms of open play shots. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But yeah, man, like it gets it like I, for me, like when I'm watching MLS games on, you know, busy midweek or Saturday night, Sunday nights, like if they're... I can do three screens, and even at that, I'm only taking things away from sure. the two, and then the third is like, okay, like I know that DC United just scored or whatever. Like I don't know, I'm I'm always like trying to think of like don't do too much or spread yourself too thin. Like one night I was hosting the uh, MLS After Dark podcast, and I tried too hard to get a little bit of everything, and then me and Doyle were talking, and then he like he's like, yeah, what did like he he said like a tactical observation about whatever one of the teams was, and I was like. Dude, I didn't even notice because all I've pretty much seen is goals because like my, my I'm just going to every single game. So yeah, it's 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 a bit of kind of give and take. And and this is I know we're we're veering pretty far in, but <laughs> I, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see what the MLS whip around show looks like next year, right? That's a thing. I didn't just dream that up. Like that's gonna be no, a real thing. No, that's correct. And okay, and cool. Thankfully people have, have been campaigning for me to people probably like you know three people i've been but that, that, that's enough i'm gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna quell that fire of no of you have some role we'll see we'll see what it is there's are so many unanswered questions about the broadcast deal yeah. let alone like just all the wonderful you know color commentators and play-by-play yeah. broadcasters who don't know yet if they're going to be part of the apple deal so they're obviously going to go first and then we'll figure out if i'm going to get three minutes on on a random saturday night I, I, as an aside <laughs> to the, the whip round show I like it, Tom. I'm here for it. You can stoke the flames, right? It can be three people and you and me stoking the Tom for whip around show hashtag. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Speaking it into existence. All right, let's get into it. Um, the kind of biggest thing from, from this week, I guess you'd have to say, is the Open Cup final, which happened on Wednesday night. Orlando City beat Sacramento Republic 3-0. It's Orlando's first ever MLS trophy. This is a team that they've been pretty good for a few years in a row, but it's easy easy to forget their first uh, six years of, of his ex- existence Outside of, of some caca magic here and there, they're pretty much a joke. Like this was a team that, you know, wasn't it wasn't spoon cincy levels or whatever, but it took them a long time to be good and respectable. And everybody I've talked to at that organization was, you know, they were really throughout this run to the open cup final, they were lucky with some home games. I think they hosted just every every game was they got the luck of the draw, including this final, but and also a couple penalty results. But you get to the final, people don't remember those details. All they remember is Orlando City are the, the 2022 U.S. Open Cup champions. 
Yeah, and, and a huge result for Orlando, right? I don't think they they had sort of a mind-blowing performance, but a, a major trophy. Like, this, this is a, a really cool step for Orlando City, and I think somewhat of a justification of some of the moves that they've made, right? On the roster yeah. side of things, there's a lot to like about the squad. There's some things that I, I don't love about the squad, and there's some evolution, I think, that needs to happen for them to really be a top-tier contender in the Eastern Conference. But, I mean, it's still nothing to take away from, from them in this game. You have Benji Michelle coming off the bench and doing some really impressive mm-hmm. stuff. I, I think he fits very well in that super sub role. It's it's It, it feels to me like you're playing FIFA and you bring someone with, like, 90 pace off the bench. That's, that's yeah, basically what a, it is. The work rate... Just go out there and run, son, and like yeah. that. He was he was phenomenal at that. Yeah, and, and yeah, that, Michelle, that, 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 like that's that sounded like I was belaying it a little bit, or like being dismissive. Oh yeah, just go ahead and run. He was also technically very his quality was very good on top of that, but his energy really kind of broke that game open. Yeah, and, and that's what it was, right? There wasn't a lot in my view between these teams until Sacramento sort of caved a little bit, but I, I think it had a lot to do with them just not being able to deal with the pace and the energy that Orlando brought off the bench, that Oscar Perea bought, brought off the bench. So Benji Michelle deserves a ton of credit. I think Facundo Torres deserves some mm-hmm. real credit there too, as does Oscar Perea in general for making those changes. There's a lot to like about this team. Facundo Torres, I think, has gotten better as I've watched yeah. him this season. Really, I mean, and you know this better than anybody, Tom, high-profile talent coming in from, from South America. He's a guy who's very much in the Uruguay national team picture and I thought was bad at the beginning of the season. You could see the talent, but that talent was not turning into much of anything. Scoring two goals in a cup final, that's 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 more like it for Facundo Torres. Yeah, look, this was this was a kid who was, you know, really highly coveted uh, South, uh, from South America. He was a Uruguay international. Um, Orlando, Luis Muzi, their, their kind of chief soccer officer. I was thought when I was, I interviewed him about the Facundo Torres signing over the winter. Like this was, this was the guy who is the face of the club, of the new not, I rebuild or reboot or refresh would probably even be taking it too far, but like Nani and Daryl DK left. Nani was the face of this club. Nani is so well respected around this team. Like I was saying, like they're they were a, a laughing stock, and then Nani was part of the the kind of culture change, part of the professionalism, part of everything. He led them to the playoffs two of his three years, and the first year he was there, he he like they weren't supposed to be very good, and I think they missed the playoffs by a few points, and it was all kind of oh wow, like look at the impact that Nani's had. They they went out and, and replaced him with Facundo Torres. This these were the shoes he was supposed to fill, and they had like really high expectations for him. But like, um, he he's a guy that Muzi in the winter said I think he's one of the top three players in South America, right? Yeah. One of the top three talents in South America right now. This is when Julian Alvarez was going to Manchester City, and and you know all these others, all these other kind of transfers. So that was the regard that this club held him in. He ended up choosing Orlando. He could have held out for just, you know, I want to go to Europe right now. The Heat will be in Europe at some point in the not-too-distant future. Orlando, obviously, are nowhere near being ready to sell him. Like, like sources have told me that, like, European teams called about him. Like, they, they figured and knew that he wasn't really going to be available for any price. But they they, they got a couple calls about him. And, and you know, I, again, I've heard that there are numerous teams that, that have him on their radar. Like, to name, like, legitimately, like, he's going to be a guy that's going to be in Europe. He's probably going to go to a top five league or like a champions league level club, like a, in like a little bit of a smaller league, like this is going to be a very expensive export or what they expect to be a very expensive export at some point. Um, and, and like you said, kind of about the, the change I'm, I'm looking for the quote of, he started a little slow. He, he's been, he's been very, very good of late. I, he's averaging like a goal or an assist over per game over his like last eight or 10 games. Like he's been a different player. Like Muzi said something, to the effect of, if you've watched Orlando City, you've watched the evolution of Facundo. Yeah. He's gotten 
he's gotten so much more kind of comfortable, confident. He's like adapted to the league. This is a difficult league to adapt to. This was a 21-year-old kid at the time who hadn't been outside of Uruguay yet. Like this league isn't easy. So of course it didn't. He didn't look like a world beater from the second he got here. That that's that's the exception, not the rule. So yeah. watching him kind of it was pretty poetic that it was Facundo who scored the two goals last night to kind of lead them to their first trophy as like again the face of this club and the face of their future. Yeah, it fits very, very well. And it feels right. He's he was the most talented player on the field. He watched the game last yep. and he gets on the yep. ball. And that's what I mean. Even when the production wasn't there early on in this season, you can still tell this guy has something different, right? And it wasn't popping in the underlying numbers. It wasn't popping in terms of the the actual on-field production either. But you give that stuff time and it's a reminder for all of us. I think I didn't see a ton of super reactionary, this guy's bad takes about <laughs> Fagundo Torres because I think people could see the skill he has on the ball. But at the same time, it's a good reminder for all of us that this stuff doesn't just happen overnight. You don't automatically mm. adjust. It takes time. And it's a pretty darn good example of that happening right now with Orlando. Yeah. Um, and, and one more quote from, from Muzi that came ahead of the ahead of this game. So this was earlier this week. Um, about Facundo. I hope we can keep him a lot longer. He's a player who will definitely be playing for one of the big clubs from Europe one day, but it's not going to be now. Hopefully we can get a few trophies before he goes. That first one's down. And again, like 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 we were we were talking about, you no know, like who who cares if the first 65 minutes were slow? Who cares if, you know, people are, are like Nashville fans probably won't forget that, you know, their quarter was at the quarterfinal where they got a really questionable foul call um, in you know the 94th minute or the 93rd minute stoppage time, uh, keeper mistake on on a failed clearance, falls to Rodrigo Schlegel, and all of a sudden Orlando force extra time. Get a Nashville get a questionable red card a few minutes after that, and then Orlando wins in penalties. These details fade over time. Nobody's gonna remember. All you remember is the sure. trophy. Sure. Yeah, it's shiny, right? We like shiny stuff. We like goals. <laughs> we like shiny things. No one is gonna remember the the other piece of this, Tom. And and we can you can hit more on Orlando if you want. But the other piece of this that I think is so good and so compelling is the Sacramento side, right? That's yep. that's the other thing that people won't forget. They'll remember Orlando winning their first major trophy, and they're going to remember Sacramento making this run. It had been more than a decade. It had been almost 15 years mm -hmm. since we'd seen a lower division team do it. And it is still an anomaly, right? Because that's how knockout soccer works, right? That's just how this game goes. It's not like Sacramento making this final means that all of a sudden they're going to be there every single year. They're going to mm -hmm. be USL contenders. USL is parody just like MLS does. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to be a once in a while kind of thing. But still, it had been a long time since we'd seen this. I actually thought Mark Briggs and, 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 and company conducted themselves pretty well last night in terms of the, the tactical approach. It's nothing mind-blowing. It's a it's a 5-4-1 defensive block that turns into a 3-4-3 in possession. It is pretty straightforward. Todd Donovan mm. uh, did the whole media rounds, but he was on he was on TSS. And basically mentioned, you know, we're we're trying to be difficult to play against. And you can very much get that vibe from Sacramento. And through, what, 75 minutes? They had yeah. done a, a, exactly what they came into that game to do, not to try to play for the draw, but to try and create chances to go out and hit on the break. It just didn't quite happen for them last night. Yeah, and look, and, and you know, it maybe took us a little bit too long. It took me a little bit too long to, to, to get to that point, like, like the story of the open cup is probably going to be about Sacramento Republic's run to the final. Like this was yeah. truly something they beat numerous MLS teams on the way. Again, you, you talk about how like this is, this is the third non MLS team to make the final in uh, of the open cup in the MLS era. Like, and there's only been one team to win it. And that was in 1999 and the gaps only growing between, or maybe not because I like, I, again, I don't want to sound dismissive to USL, but the money that's coming into MLS, like it's, it's different. It's extremely different. It's the same way. Like, the, the Canadian Premier League teams, they have it obviously very difficult too in the Canadian Championship. But at that, there's only three MLS teams. So, like, that's 
theoretically, it, it's a, it could be a little bit easier to advance it. And even there, it's, it's like unheard of. So I don't know. I think Sacramento did a great job and it's a great story. And it was particularly given that it was this team, this team that was promised an expansion spot. They had it uh, ready to be delivered. And then the financial owner backed out at the last minute. I went, I went to Sacramento to cover the, Hey, we got an expansion team, like garbage, like the, the official announcement, everything yeah, was official. It was there. And then they just didn't make any payments. And then all of a sudden the investor said, yeah, all right, never mind. I, I back out of this. So it's really cruel. It's it's sad, and it like really doesn't look like that. The thirtieth spot. It looks like it's gonna go be going to Las Vegas. Like Don Garber has done everything but announced that. He pretty much has said that that it was closed. It was expected to have been announced already. So just all of the background that it was this particular USL team sure. to get to the final was really cool. And and to see the support there in Sacramento. Oh my as god! Well. Yeah. One of. I, I think the USL in general is a, a really good story in American soccer right now. And we've done some some different stories on them for backfield. But Sacramento is is one of the primary stories within yep. that already pretty darn good story. The support, right? I, I thought ESPN, I have some frustrations with the fact that it was only on ESPN Plus and then couldn't really be watched in many places outside mm -hmm. of North America last night. But I thought ESPN did a, a great job of showcasing a lot of different stuff with the broadcast on ESPN Plus. You have Jordan Angeli doing hits from the a watch party with thousands of people, right? I was texting with Jordan last night. I mean, there is a massive crowd in this place. I don't know what, what sort of warehouse or where they had it, but I mean, <laughs> it's incredible, right? So to see that support and to see just Sacramento show up for that game, and of course they will, right? That's what got Sacramento on the map mm -hmm. in the first place as their fans. So even even without making the jump up to MLS, still the fact that, that these markets are legitimate and, and real stories in the USL is is awesome. Yeah. And again, like it's, you know, we're not going to be moral victory FC here. I'm sure that every player in that locker room, yeah. every coach, everybody, every fan, like it sucks, but like, well, and truly like, this is awesome. And and I I think that we get caught up with this too much and across all sports. It's, it's an American thing to just do the rings conversation. And yeah, like, again, winning is the most important thing, but I think we're too quickly to dismiss that. Like, yeah, like, if they got to the semifinals, that, that was a great run. If they got to the quarterfinals, that's a great run. Like getting to the finals is, is, phenomenal and and i you know i'm sure that it doesn't help the feeling right now <laughs> like to say like hey well we finished second but look i think there's so much good to come with that again all the it does suck that they like i don't know the technical requirements to be able to host the final but they weren't even in they weren't going to be they wouldn't be allowed to so when when it was announced the pathway to who like the hosting priorities it was like sacramento were fourth of the four semifinalists and it was like they, they couldn't so even if even if for some reason orlando said you know what we don't want to host it like Sacramento weren't able to. So again, I don't know what the, the technical reasons were behind it, but like their crowds leading up to it. Like I, you know, that would have been a cool thing to do too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll see that at some point, right? Maybe we'll see that. That could be the next step. I don't know what the requirements are as far as hosting goes. I'd have to go and look that up. I don't know if there are any USL teams that would be eligible to do yeah. that. And that sucks to me. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole, this, this might be a whole separate show in terms of like things that are wrong with the U S open cup, because there's, <laughs> there's a, a long list of things that I I've sort of on the top yeah. of my head, but I don't know, maybe we'll see Louisville hosting it at some point, right? The shiniest new stadium in the USL shinies, big new stadium, at least in the USL <laughs> there's, there's windows there, but either way, Orlando deserve a ton of credit for winning this and getting the trophy. You can see some of the things that they're building mm. in Sacramento, the same, no ring for them, obviously, but still a, a, just a, a really good story. So, Joe, the Sacramento has, has been kind of a force around USO for a while. They have a longtime uh, chief soccer officer. I don't I forget if he's sporting director or or general manager. Yeah. The CSO, Todd Dunavant, is, is who runs the sporting side of this club. And again, I remember talking to him however many years ago that, that Sacramento thought they were about to get an expansion team. And I remember asking him, I was like, do you kind of expect or hope, like, 
desperately want to be like given the, the GM job for the MLS club or like, how's that going to be? And he, you know, said he was definitely something that he would want to do. We'd hope to do, but like, you know, he wasn't being like a, an asshole about her. Like, yeah, like I, I, I expect to, I better be or like whatever. But so like, what, what do you think about the idea of kind of maybe an MLS club looking at this team, looking at things around and said, Hey, like he could be an asset to our club, either as a sporting director or like as a number two in a front office. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, I'm open to that idea. I think that's an interesting narrative to be had and maybe an interesting sort of trend to be had with MLS teams looking to the USL championship and other USL clubs uh, for talent. And that that's not just on the player side, but that's also on the, the sort of Agreed. soccer mind side. Yep. Whether that's coaches a, a coach, yeah, coaches and soccer decision makers higher up in the front office. I think that's a real thing. I, I think Todd Dunavit was linked at one point. I have no idea if there's truth to this or not to maybe it was San Jose, some open, open job. At least his name started to get talked about in that context. Maybe it was Paul and Sam and allocation disorder. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> I think there is something there. Todd Dunavant, it seems to me, and, and John Morris, who does a lot of the USL coverage for backfield, has, has a lot of really positive things to say about the way that Sacramento rebuilt their roster, and they had a lot of work to do. And you look at the talent, I mean, they, they can play a little bit. They have yeah. some really quality players. And and in, in the USL, and this is true in MLS, I'm guessing to a slightly lesser extent, but it is still true. A lot of those connections get made through agents, right? And through these all sorts of backdoor ways that maybe don't have as much to do with you sitting down and combing through film yeah. and the numbers. There is some of that. Don't, I'm not trying to say there's, and there's that, the, rela- the relationships. The and relationships stuff is a big part. part of it, right? So I, I don't know how Todd Dunham would do in Major League Soccer. I don't know. You know, we need to see maybe more of him still. It's interesting whether it's done of it or, or someone else or a group right. of someone's else from the USL. I think that could be a place you've written before about like untapped markets that MLS mm-hmm. teams are looking for for talent or, or trends we're seeing as MLS teams go and look for talent. I'd be curious to see if the USL becomes one. It is becoming one on the player side. I think that's becoming more and more clear, but maybe it, it expands a little broader than that. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and speaking of relationships, Donovan had, you know, he's a five-time MLS Cup winner. Yeah. He played long time with the Galaxy, but also San Jose, the Red Bulls a little bit with Toronto. So you'd think along that pathway that there'd be kind of more relationships and, and more of a chance. So it's not even like he was this USL lifer or a guy with no MLS experience. So, you know, going back to relationships doesn't just have to be ages or it's, you know, coming from your own personal circle. And, and again, so, I, you know, we'll see, maybe we're just talking about nothing and, and maybe this is a non-conversation, a non-starter, but it's an interesting part. One point before we kind of move on, Orlando, they're off to the CCL next season, but, but even more immediately, they're on a good run. They have a lot of wins, but, you know, if you're if you're kind of looking through it, I don't know. It's fragile might be a little bit too strong, but they've got what three of their last four wins came with either stoppage time winners or yeah. late winners. Um, you know, what do you make of this team moving forward now after the Open Cup, heading towards the playoffs? I still don't see the depth or or really enough top end talent for them to be a, a real contender this year. It, and this is a silly conversation in some ways because you get in the postseason and it's it's a crapshoot, yeah. right? You can be RSL and not shoot the ball and still <laughs> I mean it's it's ridiculous, right? But that's that's part of what makes it so fun. Yeah. So Orlando, yeah, they make it into the playoffs. They have a game breaker in Fagundo Torres. They have some some nice pieces off the bench. But if we're looking a little broader, I, I don't see them as a shield contender in at least in yeah. the near future. That still no. might be a season or two away. They they need more. They need more depth. I'm I'm still not totally sold on Erkan Kara. I think he does some good things, but I mean, he's, he's sitting at nine goals right now in MLS, which is not bad, but right. it's not really a lot to write home about. There's there's a lack of depth, I think, in certain areas of the field for Orlando. And I still have questions about what happens with Mauricio Pereira. I, I don't know. I, I like him as a player. I think he does a lot of good things, but I don't know that bringing mm-hmm. him back in the offseason was the 
best move for Orlando City. I think they maybe could have done something more, but you see them also get Torres. So there's some attacking resources spent there. So I I don't know. I think they're still a year or two away from doing a a whole lot, at least Mm -hmm. in the MLS regular season. But I mean, playoffs, anything (laughs) can happen in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and a couple of questions looming over them moving forward is, you know, um, Pereira is out of contract. And again, he's a DP right now. I'd, I'd probably be surprised if they brought him back as a DP again next year if, if he's back. Uh, they have a really, really good goalkeeper, Pedro Galese. He's out of contract. Jean Moutinho, left back, he's out of contract. Um, from everything that I've gathered from sources is that he's almost definitely going to leave. Orlando made an offer, but he seems kind of like he, he's got his mindset on Europe or, hey, mm. everything's changed. But there are numerous questions. Um, and again, but look, they got a trophy. They're going to make the playoffs even in when, like, times were a little bit rough earlier in the season it culminated with kind of a players only meeting like they they haven't looked great all year but they haven't been consistent and they're going through a little bit of a transition so the fact that they have a trophy kind of in the cabinet from this like it's it's kind of almost all bonus from here because they're going to make the playoffs as well like this is it'll go down as a good season no matter what yeah. but that's kind of their broad outlook um the other big story this week from mls <laughs> one of the big stories the the, the houston dynamo uh let go Let's of go. paulo nagamora um he lasted 29 games in charge eight wins 16 losses and five draws uh the dynamo are dead last in the west with five games left they their record with since hector herrera came which was supposed to be the galvanizing force of the season just stay competitive around the playoff line so hector gets here uh, they've gotten significantly worse since the midseason. Um, so, Joe, well, what are your what are your thoughts on the the, the brief Paulo Nagamura era in Houston? I laugh a little bit at this. Not not for Paulo Nagamura, who by all accounts <laughs> seems like a a good enough dude. I've never talked to them. I don't know a ton about him. Still, I mean, but like this is a little ridiculous, right? All this is a little ridiculous that this happened in this way. We're also in the soccer world right now, coming through all the Thomas Tuchel Chelsea stuff, and this is not at that level. But some questionable decisions made in in both of those coaching decisions in both those firings. So Houston, not a good team. Right. Uh, You think about some of the names that RSL were linked to, and you can speak much better to this than I can, but it it doesn't seem to me like they're ready to, to do a whole lot of anything right now in the Western conference, regardless of whether it's Nagamura coaching, regardless of whether it's someone else that had been coaching. I I don't know what that would have looked like, but you can't really tell me. I I, I texted in a group chat that we're in that Pep Guardiola wouldn't fix this Houston Dynamo (laughs) team. I, I mean, maybe he gets them to the playoffs. Maybe they're just not, there isn't enough talent here, right? So it can be no. Nagamura, it could be you, it could be me, it could be Pep. It doesn't matter, right? That's the challenge. The challenge right now for the Dynamo is not about who's coaching them. And I kind of feel like we're playing this little, this little game. You know, the cup game where you put the ball in the mm-hmm. cup and you roll them all. The shell game, that's what it's called. There you go. Um, it, it's like this this whole exercise in diversion. Oh, look, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get a new coach and, and that <laughs> might fix things. I don't think they really believe that in Houston. But Hector we should Herrera know over here. Yeah, like, oh, here's Hector Herrera over here. Here's a new coaching over here. You know, the, there's exciting times in Houston. We signed a new DP number. Not, it's not, none of that stuff's going to do it right now for the Houston Dynamo. It's going to take multiple transfer windows for them to sort out their squad and add the depth and the top end talent that they need to really compete in MLS. So I, I don't know that I feel strongly about Nakamura getting the job in the first place or now that he's getting fired. There just needs to be more. And that part of that's a coach, but most of that is the talent or, or the lack thereof right now. Yeah, um, I think the the biggest quote that came from, you know, uh, Pat Onstead did some interviews in a press conference and he's a club legend. He won a couple MLS Cups with them uh, since he's left. Pretty like they made a couple more MLS Cups, but pretty much the era around when he was there since then, they've made the playoffs once in, in nine years, I believe now. And Onstead said this without being prompted. This wasn't a question asked him. It was part of an answer. And like an aside, he goes, one thing I've learned in this seat is the years of being unsuccessful here have been more difficult to overcome than I expected. That is a tough quote and a tough feeling of just like, 
feeling feeling like hopeless and and you know the fans will be the probably the first to say that they felt hopeless for a while um the thing that was concerning for me is that last offseason and, and asking around and, and talking to sources and everything look it doesn't take you an insider to tell you that nagamura wasn't their top choice because sure. of the timeline and how long it took them to appoint him in the first place but i can tell you with certainty they interviewed Luchi Gonzalez, yeah. Pablo Mascherani. I know that they they talked with Rafa Vicky. They, they, I've heard Ezra Hendrickson. I've heard of uh, some other other names. Um, you know, one thing that I you know I don't know if if it was a mutual thing. Like I know that Luchi, when he got the offer for the U.S. national team to be an assistant, he was like, "This this is absolutely what I want to do." I don't know if this was before or after Nagamura was hired, so I don't know what the timeline was there. I do know that they thought that they were really close with Pablo Mascherani, and Pablo opted to go back to RSL. So just. Think, like those are you know six or seven names like how far down the depth chart was Paolo and again I, like, like you said I don't want to sound like you're taking pot it's not, it's not Paolo Nagamura's fault that he no. wasn't the first choice or that it took so long and, and the talent deficiency so I guess that this isn't a surprise but Joe like it's not an unfair question to ask why would this coaching search be any different than the last one yeah it's unclear right and you have so you have, uh, didn't Onset say, you know, they'd had 60 something candidates already within, I don't know, there was some ridiculous yeah, number. These, these are normal things like Dallas. Like I remember like it's, they were like, oh, we've gotten a hundred applications like before Nico was, was hired. And it's like, yeah, like I could apply. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do I get to be in the number? <laughs> and you have some folks retweeting and, and looking for maybe some, <laughs> some recognition themselves. Um, in, in <laughs> Um, but oh, no, I mean, hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick. I, I, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, just keep an eye if somebody reports that Tim Cahill is open to the job or something, because that's happened with numerous other MLS vacancies. And I was like, who, well, who is asking? Like, yeah, I'm interested in taking the job too, but that's, I don't think that matters. I think Tim Cahill's working for that academy in Qatar right now. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. He's probably doing well. Sorry, it's, go on. it's it's wild. So anyway, to get to your actual question. There's not any real reason to believe that, right? There's not any real reason. And I'm also not all that encouraged for Houston. I'm sorry, Houston Dynamo fans, about some of the names they were linked to, some of the names you've reported that they wanted to talk to or did talk to. I mean, does does anybody think that Pablo Mastroeni is going to be the guy? Maybe there are people that think that. And maybe I'm I'm over here on my own crazy island over <laughs> here. Do people really think that Pablo Mastroeni <laughs> would fix the Dynamo? I, I, <laughs> I cannot fathom that thought. I think Pablo Mastroeni does a lot of really good things. I think he gets players to run through walls for him. He is doing some great things in RSL, but I, I think Houston need like something much more akin to a Luigi Gonzalez or someone with more of a, a pedigree and background that can really galvanize this club. But again, like the coaching search can be what it, what it's going to be. It can be whatever it, it is. It doesn't really matter. Okay. That's, that's too far <laughs> to one side, but it is a small piece of a much larger puzzle, a, a, a puzzle that includes the club, the club culture, a puzzle yeah. that includes the squad. I keep coming back to that, but like the, the talent is just not there. I love Coco Karaskia. I think signing him on yep, a permanent yep, deal was a yep. great move for the Dynamo. No brainer. Herrera, Absolute can no be, brainer. Herrera can be a really good player in Major League Soccer, not a, a 90 minute player every single week, at least if you're looking for great defensive production. <laughs> but you look at the center backs, they spent, Tom, a ton of money on their center backs, and they're not very good. No. They're not very good. There's not a lot of talent in the fullback spots. Steve Clark, I think, was a good pickup in free agency. I got to yeah, go back through the numbers. And, now. I mean, so, you know, he, he is not a guy that's going to be around forever. And then you look at the, the why there's just problem after problem with this team. So whether it ends up being whoever the next name ends up being has a tough job. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, so I mean that, that the this was going to be my next question about you know who's the core moving forward. Like I think Sebastian Ferreira is a very good player who could 
be better with more service. Like this team is not great at creating chances. Like you just yeah. talk about the wingers. They're playing in a four three three with not a lot of different, not any difference making wingers. Like yeah. just straight up. And and then in in set like Darren Quintero is one of aesthetically my favorite players in MLS over the last half decade or whatever. He should not be starting all the time. He's like Probably he not. should be he should be in an El Seno role. Like he's awesome, but it's like if if he's not on the field the chances really aren't coming in like consistency. And then you're defending with one less man because that's always been kind of the deal with Darwin. Like, so it, it's Sebastian Ferreira, it's Hector Herrera, it's um, Coco. Yeah. yeah. Matias Vera, maybe, probably. Um, Steve Clark, like you said, for the short term. I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's a uh, short list. It's a yeah. short, and that's the problem with this team right now. That's, that's a great way to frame it is, you know, if you're coming in as a new coach, who are you relying on? And it's it's not a long list. One other name I'll throw out as sort of like a a fun bit for the Dynamo is Brooklyn Reigns, who actually made his MLS debut, yeah. I believe, against Seattle. I think that was his yeah. first time. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of homegrown youth. There's like you go yeah. deep in the MLS rules to explain why he hasn't been able to play. It's it's been he has had to train so many hours with the yes. Dynamo before he can play in MLS. Correct. He played in the U.S. Open Cup, and before that, he played in USL, I believe, with El Paso. Shoot, I can't remember. Yeah, now. He, he had a short term loan from the Barca Academy. Yeah. And before that, there you go, is the Barca Academy. He he is this tempo setting central midfielder. He's good on the ball, really calm under pressure. He's only seventeen. A lot of development there, but mm. you know, Houston should be producing players, and they didn't produce Brooklyn Reigns. But good on them for finding the yes. talent and for going with it. That's another great thing to do. There just needs to be more. The core players needs to grow. It's going to take a few transfer window, like I said, to make this into a, a real contender or just a relevant team in the Western Conference. Hector Herrera, it's pretty clear, is not going to be enough to move that needle. Uh, yeah, another quote from Onstead. Uh, First and foremost, it's a result business. I know it's a cliche, but but we're dead last in the West. I don't feel that our roster is dead last. We've invested a fair amount of money. We're not performing to our level. So, you know, I maybe you could quibble. Like, maybe he's not saying that they, like, he, what he's like, look, like, I don't think that we, it was realistic to expect us to host a playoff game, but like, I expected us to at least be challenging for the play. We need to be competing for the playoffs. Uh, so I think that that's where he, his um, valuation of the roster was. Um, and then one more, he, like, he did go out of his way to try to not throw Paolo under the bus, yeah, which, yeah. which I did respect and appreciate. And then, like, there, there's you. You could be polite and just kind of no comment, but then there was like there's a couple times he's like, "Look, this isn't Paolo's record. This mm-hmm. is our record." You know, it like another quote: "The decision lies with me. If we're in the same position next year, it's a big problem for me, and it's my fault. We want to get ahead of it and find the person to help us grow." And then he said something, you know, I don't regret hiring Paolo. Like Jesse Marsh, Greg Berhalter, both struggled in their first years as head coaches. Jesse in Montreal, uh, pretty famously, was was not there very long, and and Greg and and Hammerby in, in Sweden, and then look at you know what they've done since then. Again, he's not saying that Paolo might turn into Jesse Marsh or not, but he's. I, I think that was that was nice of him to go out of his way to be like, look, like this guy wasn't toxic. He like he did good things. It's just the results weren't there, and we needed to make a change. Yeah, and that's clear. I I don't I don't love the timing of this. It's, I mean, I know there's reports about the locker room, and and maybe that wasn't the best environment at this point with players being fed up. I don't know what that actually looks like. You know, it it feels like this is an admission that yeah, we we kind of got this wrong from the start. But again, yeah. it's going to take time. It's going to take more. Hopefully Houston can leverage the the small core of good players that they do have into something more. It's not impossible. Like competing for the playoffs, I still I, I kind of quibble with that in, in the mm. quote. Is like that should not be the bar for any MLS team. When half your conference gets into the playoffs, I know that's kind of like NBA style. I think, I think that's what he was saying is that like we at least should be competing. For yeah, the like that should be the bare minute. Like that should even 
yeah, teams should be wanting to do more than that. And I know Houston has some ambitious people involved at the club, but it's it's going to be a process for them to turn into something more. I'm curious to see who the next manager is going to be. I don't imagine we're going to be hearing about that anytime soon, but but no. maybe maybe we will. Either way, it's it's going to be a little bit of a long road for the Dynamo. Yeah, uh, we'll see again. Maybe this is, you know, I guess the, the positive spin is that, hey, you're a year into new ownership. You're a year into a new front office. Second crack at the at the um, new head coach. But, you know, you've got Hector Herrera there. you got Sebas there. It's a couple of players that, you know, you could hopefully build around. And, you know, things can change quickly in MLS. So that's kind of the upshot, positive, positive look. Um, you know, continuing on, another big story. This one might even be bigger <laughs> yeah. just because of, of the clubs and, and the just how much of it and how that we love the soap operas. Joseph Martinez was suspended for one game for contract detrimental to the team at Lane United announced. Uh, the Athletic, uh, particularly Felipe Cardenas and Pablo Maurer, reported that this was in part because of an altercation after their 2-1 loss to Portland. Joseph Martinez flipped the table of chicken and rice in the locker room after the game <laughs> and uh, was in a screaming match with Gonzalo Pineda. Pineda, all he offered today in terms of quotes was, we did not get physical. We were at least two feet apart at all times, which if that's the line he's drawing in the sand, that must have been one hell of an argument. If he was like, well, we didn't punch each other. I'm just saying that right now. That's it. Like, it's like, oh, my God. We were a third of the distance of social distancing away from each other. So it's all good. You know, nothing. So, Tom, the thing is, and, and again, I'm laughing at this. It's funny. It's funny because we know about the chicken and rice. If we didn't get that detail, it's not funny. Right. <laughs> Flipping a table in the locker room. This is Whatever serious, right? What if, if it was soup? If it's soup, as long as it doesn't burn anybody, it's funny, right? <laughs> Knowing the food makes this incredible. Without it, it's like, wow, this is a problem. And we already – it is a problem either way. But that detail course, just yeah. is the cherry on top. This is – it's not a good look for Atlanta. This is Joseph's sort of second tirade of sorts that he's had this season. One was, you know, yeah. talking to folks, talking to the media. This this one is an altercation inside the locker room that we know about. It's it's a problem. And in some senses, I feel for Joseph, right? Like this team has gone down the drain. It's pretty clear to see that they're not a contender. They've struggled to gel. Gonzalo Pineda's had to deal with a lot, to be fair to him. But I mean, it, this season has not been up to their standards. So I understand the frustration. The chicken and rice part just just really <laughs> sends me over the edge. Yeah, man. Uh, these are these are, this is this is be like the NBA Twitter going hashtag this league. That's yeah, yeah. you love it. It's 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 just so outrageous and whatever it is that this is this is MLS after dark, but in like a locker room setting. Yes, um, yes. But like kind of on like a more serious note, it's like, dude, it it kills me to see like think of Joseph Martinez in 2018, 2019, and like think of it now. Like, and it's not just his excellence. There there have been players, few players to be fair, that have been as excellent as him. But I don't think that there's any combination of his on-field excellence, the team success, the team support, and his connection with that city. Like, how many how many players in other MLS teams are like, it's like him, Trey Young, and Ronald Acuna in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. nobody, talk, nobody talked about Tati Cassianos with, you know, Jacob deGrom, right? Like, these... Right. This dude was like a cultural. I know that icon you didn't name a Knicks player, Tom. I know. That yeah, you did I, not if name I said Knicks Julius Randle, so it would have been the saddest thing in the world. So I like scrambled there with, with looking for even a Mets player. Who, who cares? Um, so it was like, dude, it's just so sad to me. Like this guy, this was a king in his kingdom. He was, you know, whatever he was, twenty six when he got here, twenty five when he got here, and he was looked content. Like he was saying like, a year ago, like I want to sign. Like when they fired Gabriel Heinz, that, that was after his was one another one of his. He was pretty. He was pretty open about his discontent sure. there. And then after they fired him, he's like, I want to be here forever. I'd sign a, a, a career contract right now. And now, um, he, like his form's gone. Like after that knee injury, dude, he's just not running anymore. Whether that's 
his knee or just general his own general apathy because it's not even just that he's not hitting the same top speed like he's just not running which would is a big problem like it's a huge problem when he gets benched for Ronaldo Cisneros and everyone's like yeah that's probably fair enough like that's really sad and again going back to the contract stuff he's his contract's only through 2023 Gonzalo Pineda was asked directly if he wanted Joseph Martinez back in 2023 Pineda responds we're thinking of making the playoffs in this game on Saturday against Toronto and the, that's the least on my mind in my moment, talking about Joseph. That is, oh, that is, he's, it, that was a it's non-answer. A yes. that I extremely <laughs> telling. Like, you, there, there was a way to just, like, you, nobody's going to hold him to it if they got rid of Joseph in the, in the offseason. It's like, well, Gonzalo said he wanted him, you know, in this one random press conference on a Wednesday in September. Like, so that's just, ah, oh, man, it's just so sad. It's, it's just so sad. It's frustrating, and some of this is outside of anybody's control, right? You think about the injuries, and I, I do think that's had a big impact on Joseph Martinez's pretty obvious decline. He's he's not been the same player. Another part of this, though, and, and maybe this is me stretching things a little bit, is is like how Atlanta have built their squad. You you look at the squad and you see it's a, a bunch of playmakers, talent, right? Not, not not talent that that um kind of makes each other better right exactly it certainly doesn't make joseph better right you think about Mm -hmm. the players that there's a reason why myself and and a bunch of other folks have said it does make sense for cisneros to start because cisneros runs because (laughs) atlanta doesn't have anyone else that runs right Mm -hmm. diago amada wants the at least stretches the back line in position i'm not talking about the defensive stuff but diago amada doesn't do that stuff luis arujo doesn't do that stuff marcelino moreno doesn't do that stuff joseph martinez doesn't do that stuff and maybe he would have done a little bit more of it before but you think about the heyday of Atlanta United under Tata Martino, it's Joseph getting in the box, it's Julian Gressel, it's Tito Viaba, and it's mm-hmm. Miguel Amiron doing the vertical stuff, doing the work in possession so that Joseph can just do his thing, find his spot, and jump higher than some five foot seven, however tall he is, players should be able to jump. That's Short what works season. so well. It, <laughs> yeah, it is. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. Atlanta have not tried to continue that trend. And and yeah, you should still be able to win games with Arujo and Amada and all the other talent that's there. Even with the injuries, you should still be able to win games in Major League Soccer. So I'm not saying that's like the biggest problem with Atlanta United, but if you're looking at Joseph first, and maybe you should when you're talking about Atlanta United, if you're looking at Joseph first and, and you think about how the squad has changed around him and now that's sort of this missing piece that can't be accommodated anymore. I mean, there's there's deeper problems there that have been building really ever since that first and best era of Atlanta United players since and Tata stars left. started leaving the club yeah since Tata, first when Tata left which again I don't blame Atlanta for that that was just kind of how it was uh but then Frank DeBoer was not good Gabriel Heinze was not good um and now you know all of the like you said Julian Gressel just it was it was like a little bit of hubris that yeah no we can just replace all these players like you know what you don't look good in this team like again I love Brooks Lennon too but like yeah Julian Gressel look good this team you know somebody uh, just they, they they struggled really hard to to replicate some of like the MLS experience, like the leadership guys on this team um, that were like the, like the control or whatever you want to call it. That's like, this is our baseline. And then we're, we're going to be good or okay, no matter what. And then our high price stars are the ones that take you over the top. That's how you get a Seattle kind of dynasty that they've had. That's how you get the Portland Timbers, maybe not with the domestic stuff, but, but you, you kind of know that you have control guys and then they give you the baseline and then you have stars that take you over the top. So I think, yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, it's funny the, it's the details, but it is it is really sad to just kind of see what's happened. And who knows, maybe, maybe like, you know, even two months ago, even a month ago, I would have said that. I think that there's no chance that he's playing for another team in the winter, but it seems like a really real possibility now. Um, and again, that's just sad, given what he's meant to this club, what he's meant to this league. So, I don't know. I still hope one day, hold out my hope that he will return to 2018 Joseph at some point, but... 
who knows? Last story here to, to get onto before we get out of here, Joe. Um, and this might be just a media guy standing on his media soapbox. <laughs> Please, you know, tase me if, if I'm sounding too much like a homer here for media. But like, dude, Austin's weird. Nobody believes in us thing. I, I don't understand it. I like I get the idea of everybody wants to be the underdog. That that's how you get that's how you get the motivation. It, it's so cheap. It's cheap motivation. It's like 99 cent soda when when you need something from like the the quick check or whatever. But like it's just not rooted in reality. Who who's been like doubting this team since April? And and, and again, you finished bottom of the Western Conference. Of course you needed to win over some doubters. Yeah, I I don't fully understand what's going on here. I'm not all the way immersed in the Austin FC media landscape all the time, but it it does. You're really not understand. an expert on this. You're an expert no. on everything. Where, where, <laughs> what's going on? I mean, I think there's been plenty of positivity around Austin. I mean, I I sort of have been poking holes in this team, right? And I do think there are some issues with this team, but I don't think that's unfair to talk about, right? We talk about that stuff with LAFC, the team that is one of the deepest and most talented on the top end. MLS teams of all time, you know, does Carlos mm-hmm. Vela and Gareth Bale, are, are they able to play together? What's up with the midfield? Are there some issues? Mm-hmm. There? I, ta- I mean, we talk about that stuff. It's not unfair to talk about the same stuff with Austin. So I don't know where Josh Wolf is, is coming from. I don't know where Felipe is coming from. I don't know exactly what their issues are, what their beef is with specific Austin folks, but it, it does feel like it's cheap motivation, but Hey, maybe it's working, right? Maybe it's working for them. Maybe we'd be starting this way back in, you know, whatever March or whenever that was. Maybe that's exactly what they needed because sitting second in the West after beating the Supporter Shield favorites twice, that's not a bad place to be, Tom. But just like going out and like, you know, going out of your way, like, it's not like they're asked these questions. Like they beat LAFC. This is a moment like that 4-1 game. It was an incredible game. It was an incredible atmosphere. It was at home. The moment of their season, the moments of, of this young club's history. And, like, Josh Wolf is starting his press conference by teeing off on media being negative. Like, dude, what are you doing, bro? Like, just focus <laughs> on the win. Like, this is – it just seems so petty and weird. And it's like it's, – it's like the Michael Jordan doc. It's like you hear one thing that's negative about you, and it doesn't matter if 98% of it is positive. Sure. And, and, again, like, what is the role – like, what do they think the role of the media is? Like, one of the Felipe's quotes it was, like, something to the effect of you're with us or against us or, like – he was, like, referring to you, like, the media as, like, our or, like, we <laughs> – like, this is no uh, we here. Like, I know the lines can get blurred, particularly in 2022, but, like, yeah, dude, like, sometimes, like, I don't know, man. Everybody everybody wants to air quote, like, to be treated like a big boy league, everything, when everything's going great. And then it's, like, when things aren't going well, nobody wants to talk. Like, so, I don't I don't know, man. It's, it's These things are just frustrating. Man. Uh, I, I, and, and my personal, like, I got an, a couple Austin fans yelling at me. I voted Austin third of 28 in power rankings. And it was, like, wow, nobody believes in us. That's great. Like, it's, like... <laughs> Third of 28 isn't exactly an underdog story here, man. Yeah, you want to be above LAFC or Philly? I mean, I guess I guess they do want to be above LAFC. And then there is maybe some argument for that because power rankings are impossible to decide how it and actually works. it doesn't works. matter. And it Who doesn't cares? matter. It doesn't matter. That's the best part. But really, the best part of all this, Tom, is how angry you in particular Ugh. are right now. I'm, I'm not like, this doesn't bend me out of shape nearly the same way that it does you because you're much closer to this than I am. But and I'm uh, just much easier to be annoyed because I'm a New Jersey guy and I, you're just a nicer, general, genuine, more genuine person than me. So uh, this all makes sense. <laughs> the New Jersey might have something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, again, this this in the Joseph story, like in the Houston situation, MLS has been hot this week. You get the Open <laughs> Cup in there, too. Like there's been some good stuff. I'm here. I'm totally here for Austin complaining about how they're covered. I'm here for it. Right. It's just going to create more more discourse and more of this stuff for us to talk about. And, and whether or not it's justified, I, whatever. Right. I, I certainly don't think it is. They're doing they're doing exceptionally well this season. They've gotten a lot of credit for that. And it comes up in the power rankings, among other things. But uh, this is this is all beautiful stuff. 
<laughs> I think I'll end on like so Andrew Weeby again you were joking about making fun of him for starting it he's like so down for all of these fights in his mentions like he there's nobody who relishes tweeting about refereeing decisions in which you know 100% everybody's gonna yell at you no matter what and like I, I'll text him I'll be like dude I can't believe you just tweeted like He's like, I got like, God bless your mention. He's like, dude, I love this. Like, I don't care. Like, this is fun. <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with you? Doyle, Doyle, uh, I tweeted something about Weston McKinney scored that header for Juve against PSG the other day in the Champions League. And I tweeted something about, you know, I'm excited to see McKinney on set pieces along with the yeah. new set piece coach that the US men's national team hired. Well, that was and, a good tweet. And Doyle hops in my mentions with like, a one, two, three list of like why he wants Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long and Brandon Vasquez in the US squad. And my mentions for the last like two days have just been random folks popping in and like yelling just at absolutely him. flaming Doyle. And I, I, it took me till today to mute that conversation, but I messaged Doyle because his, his, uh, his bio on Twitter is something along the lines of, you know, if it doesn't spark joy, mute it. Right. Which is, I think yeah. true. And I'm like, man, if this is what your mentions are like all the time, you are living up to that bio. Cause it, it gets rough out there. It definitely gets rough out there, Tom. Oh my God. All right. I think that's a good place to end it. I'm going to shock myself for being too self self centered, too self important, make talking about this media stuff. like I'm on a soapbox. All right. That, that was a good 45, 46 minutes with, with my man, Joe Lowry again, read backfield.com. Joe, I'm sure you'll be back soon. Um, again, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 